You're listening to Biz Quick. This is where Julie and Corey provide quick and useful information to small business owners. Biz Quick is the podcast where small business owners get to showcase their businesses and receive expert advice and guidance in areas many entrepreneurs struggle with. And you, the listener, get solutions, tips, and tricks on real-world topics that many small business owners face. Julie and Corey are the experts small businesses hire when they need solutions. And the BizQuick podcast is just one way they deliver those solutions. Let's start the show. Welcome to BizQuick. I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And on today's show, we have Callie Keene. He's the CEO of Red Blue Collective out of Sterling, Virginia. But before we bring Callie on, we're going to talk a little bit first about launching new products or businesses and just some of the work that goes into it and how you know if you have a good idea or not. Yeah. And the reason we're talking about that is because Callie has uh, launched a couple different things in his life. He's created some products. He's uh, a coach, a consultant. He knows he knows the ins and outs of, of creating brands, creating products and all of that. And before we, we talk to him about how to do it successfully, I think that we're going to talk about some of the, maybe the less successful ventures. Less that we- <laughs> successful ventures, yes. And if ever there was a guy who you would say, look at the big brain on Brad, it's Callie Keen, because yeah. that dude is smart. So, and I mean that in the most authentic way possible. He's a, he's a good dude. Yes. Um, you ever, ever have any, did you ever create a new product or launch anything? Um, I've, I've had a couple of things where I was like, Oh, this would be a cool idea. Or I wanted to do this. Um, I'm a big fan of hot sauce. I started making my own hot sauce years ago, probably like five, six years ago. Um, and thought, Oh, you know, Hey, I could probably do this like as a kind of a side hustle or whatever. I got so far as to creating an LLC. I bought some, uh, did you buy the domain? Uh, yeah, I own the domain. Uh, I own a lot do of you domains. still own the domain? I do still own the domain. Um, but uh, so yeah, I, I I got so far. I had sample bottles. I had recipes. I had everything ready to go. But it was one of those things. I just wasn't committed. It was the 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 hot sauce industry in general is just saturated to begin with. And so trying to come out with a new brand and not really a budget to do it it just fizzled out. So I just enjoy my own hot sauce at home. And that's that. What it about sounded you? super dirty. Yeah, it does sound it. terrible. Now that I, said it out loud. I, don't, I enjoy my own hot sauce at home. Okay. It's not that kind of show. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, um, tell us about your great ideas. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm, I don't think I've ever like really had many great ideas for like product launches. I remember in November of 2013. So that is important, the year, right? Because um, it wasn't like it was yesterday. And this is a very common thing now. Um, But in November and into December of 2013, me and my nephew Hansen had two brilliant ideas. And I mean, brilliant. The first one was, um, we were at um, my sister's house in just outside of Las Vegas in Henderson. And um, we were super hungover and we were watching football and we needed to charge our phones. And we thought, wouldn't it be amazing if there was outlets in the sofa that we could. And so, you know, we like built out like this whole prototype of what that would look like. And then two days later, my sister's husband informed us that that was already on the market. (laughs) 
So we were a little behind the curve and also clearly not up to date on like the newest technology. But the second idea did not yet exist. Also, we were hungover again and we were staying at um, a hotel property in you know Vegas, right on the Strip. And it was, it was a Sunday. So we had been out the Saturday night before. It was a Sunday. We were watching football and the Las Vegas marathon was happening that day. And we really needed some food and we couldn't get a taxi to get anywhere because of the marathon. And so we literally said, wouldn't it be great if there was a food service that existed that you could order food from any restaurant and somebody would deliver it to you. And now we have Uber Eats, Uber yeah. Eats and DoorDash. And yeah. I swear to you in 2013, Hanson and I had that idea and did nothing with it. And every time I see that memory come up on Facebook, I want to just smash my face. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I could own Facebook right now. But what would you have done with it though? Realistically? Like you mean like has in like launching the idea? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, Listen, I, I've never been like afraid of like hard work, but I don't know that I had the network of people to pull that off yeah. or to even to ask about it at or that the point. Millions and millions of dollars of venture capital that you would need to uh, launch it. Right. Yeah. No. I'm a lot smarter now in 2020. Well, okay. I'm smarter now. <laughs> <laughs> and I know more people. Maybe that's it. My network is better yeah, now. Yeah, there you go. My network is significantly better now. But yeah, we had that idea. And it's funny because there's there's a lot of things out there and I'm sure everybody's had that idea where they're like, oh man, I thought about this back and whatever. But the fact that you thought about it doesn't make the that unique. There are multiple people who obviously thought about that. Me, on the other hand, like I don't even want to research it because I feel like if I type it into a search engine, Google's going to steal... Uh, my idea. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not wrong though. Yeah. I mean, just talking about ideas at this point is probably not a good idea. Well, Although you don't have anything turned on on your devices. So yeah, but I mean, the phone's probably still listening to you. It really is. Somebody's listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're still hoping. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know for sure Hanson's going to listen to this one because I'm going to tell him we talk about it. Yeah. So, and my, my, my family listens to all of them. So yeah. we'll definitely have some people listening, some sort <laughs> of audience. But it's interesting when you, you know, there's probably two really big barriers to launching an, an idea, whether it be a product or a service, right? The first one being, yourself right do you have the tools the knowledge the ambition the motivation the desire to do it because that's probably the bigger one and then the second thing is do you have the network or the money to make or is it a good idea right is yeah. it a viable idea is the second one and yeah and that's the, the tough part especially i mean going back to my my hot sauce example hot sauce is something that is i hope would never go out of style so it's, a, it's something that people use, something people will continue to use. And if I was really passionate about it, I could have started selling at farmer's markets and get into the local grocery stores around here and that type of stuff. But I wasn't into it. And I think that's what a lot of people are, like their barrier is that, like you, you said, themselves. Like yeah. they, they, oh, this would be really cool, but I, I don't want to put any work into it. No I hope, I, let me type it into Google and see if they can just create it for me. You right. Know? I mean, people are, kind of lazy yeah yeah so that's that that is true but it's it's interesting because you know i i guess so many times 
and we've had this conversation ourselves just about our own business, right? When we first started and about our book, right? Where we, everybody's like, oh, that's such a great idea. That's such a great idea. And we're like, is it, are our friends and family just lying to us because they don't want to hurt our feelings? And so you, everybody kind of needs somebody that they can go to, to say, Hey, I have this idea. Can you tell me if it's good? And that person actually be willing to tell them the hard truth of dude, don't do it. That, that's a great point. Especially when you're talking about somebody who's passionate about whatever it is that they're talking about. Oh, I've got this great idea and it's going to solve this problem or whatever. And you just have to look at them and say, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and sometimes you're like, you know, cause we've talked to a few people who have called us and they've had, they've had these ideas for a service or a product. And we're like, we get off the phone with them and, and we're, you know, we have the conversation of, did I just not get what they were trying to do? Or like, am I not the target market? Is that why I thought that's the worst idea I've ever heard? Or like, sometimes just like, maybe I'm just missing something, but really, I, I mean, I think in general, you, you kind of can see if an idea is going to be a good one or not. Yeah. Well, with that said, let's gather up some ideas and bring Callie on and see if he can get uh, get us in the business of delivering uh, food to your electric couch. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, we'll be right back after this message. Hey, everyone. We wanted to tell you about our latest course, Foundation 52, that will be available on February 15th. This course is built to provide tools and techniques every week of the year and is designed to improve your small business. If you're thinking about starting a business, this is a great resource for you as well. We walk you through sales, customer service, disaster planning, growth strategies, and so much more. Head on over to SB Pace to sign up today. Welcome back. We've got Callie Keene of Red Blue Collective out of Sterling, Virginia. Welcome, Callie. Hey, how's it going, Julie? It's good. It's nice to have you. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yep. So... Let's start by talking about Red Blue Collective and what exactly that is. Yeah, so the, the name's derivative because from having that technical acumen and having that creative, that creative drive, and really those two things combined is what creates great products, right? All of the wonderful products that we enjoy today, they have that beautiful pairing and those two, those two like, seemingly dichotomous ideas. So Red Blue Collective is us as a community, a community, a network coming together with both of those elements to help people grow businesses, create amazing products, change our lives, change the world, all those beautiful things. Um, great. So you, I know that uh, from previous conversations that you're into uh, manufacturing products, coming up with ideas, um, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, I've I've only met you a couple of times, but Julie's said many things, many nice things, many great things about you, um, including the $700 fidget spinner and, and all of that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about like how you create, create those ideas and how you get people to buy a $700 fidget spinner? Yeah. So like important takeaways from that. And it was really, that was an experiment to show people about perceived value and why brand equity and having a great offer isn't based on cost. It's based on our perceptual value that we place on something. So the experience of it, it's a connection, the emotional um, 
the emotional elements to it. So that that's important. I mean, that's why this is $700 and it's a sculpture versus a $1 thing that you got at a trade show that you threw in the garbage, right? And I want everyone to look at what they're thinking about and say, well, Callie did this absurd thing. Like, what is the absurdest value equivalent of what I'm doing? What's the $700 fidget spinner version of what I'm doing? And then work backwards to find how, how do I create a brand promise and offer and the partnerships that put me in the place where I can basically be the Michael Jordan of fidget spinners, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I mean, it, it's a, the perceived value is such a huge thing. Like I, I was in restaurants for years and I always told my kitchen staff that, yeah, you know, you're just putting out whatever it is, but if you make it look good, we can charge more. So, you know, it, it's that perceived value is, is you know, value achieved. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the plate of food costs two, three dollars, but we can sell it for 12, 15 bucks because it looks like it's worth 12 to 15 dollars. Yep. Yeah. So when you're thinking about perceived value, that's um, you, the creator, the manufacturer, the owner of this thing, mm-hmm. telling someone what the value is through copy mm-hmm. and through in some instances video or image right and basically conveying um like raising expectations or, or creating desire and want right yep so are you what is the like when you did just continuing talking about the fidget spinner what did you use as the driver for creating that perceived value? Was it more through video or what? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. And, and you really, it starts with mapping out uh, a couple of elements to, to understand like, how this functions, right? How, how this isn't just a fluke thing, but it's something I've re- like repeatedly done dozens of times. So, and um, the, the first thing is I want to figure out what I'm actually trying to do, right? Not just with this product, but in general, what, what the purpose of this. And the business that we ended up building around these super premium collaborative products, the point was to create a business model around collaborative launches and to be able to get enough attention so people would start using this in their business. Because it's still something that, that I coach on, something I consult on, but it's not something that people readily adopt or they think about it's much more rare it's it's just a big opportunity in the market but um, you think about what you're trying to achieve monetarily or connection wise or what where you're going to sit in the world and you you go out and who am i speaking to and what are they trying to achieve so you think like is somebody actually trying to achieve something by buying a fidget spinner and there there is an element of utility but at the time there is a, a premium community that we engaged in early that was buying fairly expensive products, two, $300, $400 everyday carry collectible products, right? And so it wasn't that bad of an extrapolation to say, hey, let's make an ultra premium product. And it's for this market that I'm a member of, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that looks at the really expensive pocket knives, right? I'm the guy that buys those little extra things. So like, I understand the collector market and the mentality of the collector market. So I can authentically engage these people. 
and I know what their their end goal is is to beat back that scarcity and have belonging. We call them tribal totems. So like that's our tribe of people. And they collect these items as totems. And when we go out and talk to them, they have problems. And one of the problems in this is I'm a big fan. Uh, it's a friend of mine. He's a sculptor in, in Baltimore. So semi-local. And he makes really amazing CNC machined sculptures. He is in that world. He is Michael Jordan. So if I were to build a business, would it be better for me to have a basketball camp or would it be better for me to have Michael Jordan's basketball camp? And so that's what I think about like this is who would change my business so it's almost a guaranteed success. So reaching out to people and say, hey, I'd like to create a product that's in this market and then build this partnership. That was, that was easy because when I looked out on the, uh, what people needed, they enjoyed his work, but it was unpurchasable because it's 10, 20, $30,000. And so instead of making the world's most expensive fidget spinner, essentially I was taking the value and transposing it and making a really cheap, affordable, pocket-sized version of one of Chris's sculptures. Wow. <laughs> okay. So that was my killer offer is like, Hey, you can be one of these very few people. We're making a limited edition of these. And, you know, of course we did the surprise and delight thing. People got a special edition case that is laser cut and it, it's all editioned hand signed, you know, certificates of authenticity, all that other stuff. Those are surprise and delights. But what we did is we took people along the process and I showed them from the sketches to the renders to going over to Chris's place to Chris coming over to my place and, and machining the first ones. And then it was, they're all made in an aerospace uh, manufacturing facility right here. Well, it's where I am right now. And, and walking along the journey with everyone. So by the time that we released a little short video, <laughs> this thing and said, hey, it's open, boom, they, they sold out, right? We sold half of them like the first little tiny bit. And the, yeah, I mean, the, the only downside to that, and, I, and you saw this piece of content the other day, is that one time when I was traveling to China, like these got ripped off worldwide. I got sent a dozen different knockoffs of them. Of course, nobody that's going to buy a $15 version of this product is going to you know, debate, should I get this authentic $700 thing or this $15 thing that's made out of plastic? But it was, it was like tripped me out to just be randomly walking with my friend in Shenzhen in the market. And I was like, look at all these spinners. I know every single person that actually made the real version of this thing. And here's mine. And like, I had a picture of it holding up to my eye. I took pictures with the people in the stalls. Like these are the people ripping off my product. It was really trippy, but those kind of things happen. But I, I mean, I hope that makes sense. It's like, really, we tried to figure out what we wanted to achieve, who we were going to uh, work for, who we were going to work with, and what was like a 100x value of what we would charge, which is about 200% over the market. So it's like, how can I give somebody $20,000 worth of value for under 1000 bucks? but still be 200% more than the next highest competitor. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, first off, it makes sense. And one, I, 
I got a lot of thoughts running through my head right now. And that's usually Corey that has a lot of thoughts running through his head, but um, it's almost like you sat down and you're, you know, what I kept thinking was begin with the end in mind, right? You knew where you wanted to land. You had a built-in audience with Chris's um, admirers and people that want to yep. buy his stuff, but are just priced out of the market. And I know a guy who you can get some really nice knives from <laughs> <laughs> really nice knives. So um, that's fascinating to me. And I'm, do you think that approach works with both product and service? And I'm curious how much of that same methodology you use in your new coaching that you're doing. Yeah. So um, to, to add another dimension to this is like that project came off of the tails of, I, I did a campaign called start to Kickstarter launch in 20 days. And I, I started with a clean sheet of paper and I disclosed and walked people through my whole framework and showed them how I went from no product to live launch on Kickstarter in 20 days. Then we did the pre-orders. I showed them how like I came up with it, how I validated it, how we ran the ads for it, like how we did the landing page, like every single thing. And I actually used people's purchase of those seminars to fund the prototyping because here, here's the thing, and not to get too involved in this, is like, I went out and I've, I've spoken like everywhere locally, and people have the same excuses, like I don't have enough time, I don't have any money, I don't have any skills, like, uh, you know, I'm too wishy-washy, whatever their their thing is. So I said, hey, I'll do this in this really compressed time frame. I'll only use, I'll only use resources that are available at the makerspace, not at my manufacturing facility, and. I'll only spend as much money on this as I can raise through the seminars. So, so I, I, uh, I, I showed people every stage of the process and we, we were successful. We raised $30,000 on Kickstarter and 10 something like in pre-orders after that, but then people have more excuses and they were like, well, you know, fidget spinners are dumb. And it, this is before they really popped off. Right. And coincidentally, we ended up looking like wizards, but it, we sold a 200 ish dollar fidget spinner on Kickstarter and people were like, they need to be $5. Like you'll never, they, nobody will ever buy fidget spinners. This is a stupid idea. Like, how would you scale this? I'm like, I'm going to show you how to scale a niche product. So I actually did another series of seminars. So believe it or not, this whole thing with, with Chris, I, I told people what I was going to do and I actually had speaking engagements showing them every step of the way as well as putting it online. And uh, I, I mean, I still, I still get the same response from people, but I, I, you know, I just like, there's not a whole lot I can do at this point, you know, but to, to your, to your point, yes, this is, this is actually derived from what my more successful B2G and B2B products that I sell. I sell really expensive server racks. So they're about 10 to 20 times the price of a normal server rack but they solve million dollar or billion dollar problems, right? So they're inexpensive for what they do, but they're really, really expensive if you compare it to a, a server rack because they're, they're, you know, 800 bucks, that's a fidget spinner. I sell a shielded enclosure that happens to be in the form factor of a, of a uh, convenient server rack. So, but yeah, so I use the same technique uh, including like how we partner with people, how we make the offers, how we go to market, and that scales up to seven, eight figures in that. So it, 
to demonstrate this again, I am actually going to launch a new campaign and show people how you do this in 2021. We're not going to make a fidget spinner, so don't worry, Julie. It'll be a new product. New market. <laughs> I'm excited. Whatever it is, I'm going to buy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have some ideas, but like we're going to film the whole thing because I've, you know, I've got Bobby now. I've got a videographer. We have the the podcast. I have a lot more friends than in 2016, but I'm going to put it all out there and have people follow along. So we'll come up with some mechanism for people to follow and subscribe and do some kind of like, you know, private live video and talk about it. But we're going to go from searching around, finding a product, figuring out how to validate it, which I just, so like, I spent a lot of time trying to be smart. Now I do things the dumb way. I just ask people what they need, pick some things and then ask them if they like it. If enough people like it, I'll do it. Um, so this is probably if, if a thousand people say, Hey, Callie, I would buy that. I think maybe a hundred of them will fall through. So like it's worth doing, right? Sure. And I can make things complicated, but we're going to do things really, really simple. So everyone can follow along. Like I'm not going to use any like, super crazy techniques, but I'm just going to use my network. So my manufacturers, um, my marketing people, um, yeah, show people the whole process. And then when we're done, I'm going to get rid of the business. So you'll see how to come up with an idea, build it, sell it, launch it like crazy with influencers and then sell, sell your idea. So just get out of it. So that's what people want, right? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people out there have ideas and that brings me to my next question, which is how do you tell somebody that their idea is not good? Yeah. So you know, the statistics for ideas are not so fantastic, right? Um, you, can, you can look at what are the rate of commercialization in patents. So I kind of got a little bit of local fame because I was speaking at USPTO and I said that if I ran the same business model as them, I'd be thrown in federal prison because they sell a dream that doesn't exist. They sell that you have a, you have a monopoly on an idea, which is demonstrably not true. And Monopolies on ideas that have no value have no value. So uh, a million times zero is still zero, right? But like 96% of, of patents are not commercialized to the point where they pay back the patent cost, right? So that's the first aside. Um, universities, like I, I work with George Mason, um, work with JMU, a couple other universities, and you can literally go and say, hey, I'd love to have your research. Hey, Virginia Tech, I'd love to have some of your research. They can't even find it. They haven't even cataloged it because it's that worthless. Uh, that's how valuable ideas are. Um, if you ever have a business and you'd like to add ideas, add IP to it, you can buy intellectual property that's uncommercialized for like literally fractions of a penny on the dollar for developing it because it's so underutilized. And so I know everyone has ideas and ideas are what help us pivot when we have a business. It helps us be creative. It helps us think in the moment. So ideas are valuable, but like they're way overrated, right? I would rather have a bunch of people that believe in me and then be able to ask them what they want and then have a lot of ideas about how to solve that. But people come up with, they come up with shower thoughts and then they up their entire life because like they had a fleeting moment of inspiration right so i i say 
ideas are inspiration, right? But we have to be experts about our customers' problems. We have to be solution agnostic, right? No, that's great. It is, and I was kind of over here um, uh, starting to sink down a little bit because, you know, I am the idea machine on this team. And every time I have one, Corey's like, oh God, not another one. And you just sort of validated for him that I need to stop having so many ideas. Well, so like coming up with a framework to test ideas rapidly is very valuable. Being able to try them out and pitch them. So if you can create maybe an inner circle of your customers, right? Almost like a board of customers and you can get that voice um, in startups, we'd call them early adopters, right? In branding, we'd call them brand advocates. Uh, in, in business, in like B2B, B2G business, like Baldridge would call them vo voice of the customer. But if you can find those people and you can say, hey, would this change your life, right? And people are looking for incremental ideas, which are great at improving your business. But if you're talking about improving somebody else's business, like that whole idea of Kaizen is not good enough, right? You're fighting nothing is your biggest competitor, getting people to change what they're doing. If, if they're already doing something that doesn't work, and then you're saying, hey, disrupt your life even more and try this thing that I had an idea doing, it better be really good, right? it better be good enough where they're like, I think I'll ruin my life if I don't jump on this right now. Right. Especially when you think about when you just were giving the example of, you know, having the, this, this running the seminars and people saying they want to do things or suggesting, and then just never being able to pull the trigger, having yeah. every reason in the world. And we encounter that with our, even our, you know, clients who are paying us where they're like, well, I, I know I need to do that, but, and it's like, oh, man. Like, well, that would work really well for a fitness product, but like I sell products to horse enthusiasts. I'm like, okay, but that has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about, right? Or this, I want to hire you because I'm tired of being so busy that I don't have time to do anything but work. And then I've got to cancel my weekly meeting with you because I'm too busy to have the meeting. That's a regular problem. You gotta, you gotta find your fee in time. Yes. Did you <laughs> say you gotta find your fee in your time? You gotta find your fee in their time, right? What does that mean? Use so like words. if you say, hey, you have to commit to me three hours a week, one hour for the phone call and two hours of follow-up on homework. I'm, our immediate goal is for me to find three to five hours in your schedule. So wow. I'm going to get you that, and then you're going to give me half of it. That's brilliant. So like for, for when I say, hey, my coaching is going to cost this much, hey, I'm going to give you a proposal, and we'll make something work for your budget, or this is what it is generally per month. That's that's my goal, right? We've, we've talked about this before, is find my fee so I know that at least – I'm going to talk to you for one hour, and uh, in that hour, I'm going to give you something that will pay for my fee for the rest of the engagement, right? And then everything else is like, hey, man, I know you're paying for it, and we started using this strategy that it covers this month's cost, maybe it covers the first two months' cost or whatever, 
but like, we've got to keep going. I got to keep finding my fee. So help me find my fee. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this out there, meet me halfway. So I'll make you 25 K and I'll bill you, I'll bill you 2,500. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good <laughs> approach. Right. Cause it's like, you're paying us regardless. So yeah. like, let's help, help us find that for you. Yeah. Help me, help me find it. We'll split like, the difference. I like that approach. All right. I think we need to start wrapping up yep. though. This was fascinating and we could go on and on. Uh, tell, do you want to, thanks so much for being here, Callie. Do you want to tell our listeners how they can find you? Yeah. Well, I think we're, we'll, we'll be using the end hype podcast as a hub of a lot of the activities. It, you can find me on most platforms and even DM me if you have questions I and mean, that's, that's open for anybody, but check in with me on end hype. We're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of people coming on that are going to speak to this campaign, this new project that I have coming out. And so a lot of the content is going to be around, around why that works. And so I think, I think that's a good place for people to, to get some, some value. So if you're into the idea of transforming product ideas or really just ideas into a business reality, that's my tagline. And if that sounds appealing to your audience, just Come over to the podcast. Yeah, I can't wait to follow along. It's going to be really interesting. It'll be fun to watch. All right. Uh, thank you. Thanks to our listeners. And we'll put all of Kelly's information in the show notes. Yes. And you can connect with us on social media. We are on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can reach us on uh, our websites, sbpace.com and bizquickpodcast.com. While you're out there, subscribe to our podcast. Give us a like and a review. We love feedback. We do. And you can reach out about any topics that you might want us to cover. Or if you want to be a guest on the podcast, head on over to bizquickpodcast.com. we got a simple form out there for you to fill out. We also have a number one bestseller on Amazon. It is a book. It is called Seriously Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. Uh, and it has a digital uh, workbook that goes along with it. I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America.